Well, I don't know. Um, it's been about maybe three and a half years since Tara and I and the kids moved down here to Connecticut from Massachusetts. And, and I, I, I can still remember a little bit of that trip that we made from uh, the North Shore of Boston down here to Fairfield, Connecticut. I don't remember too much detail of the day, but one detail I do remember was that point in the, in the trip when we're in the truck and we're making our way down the highway where, where we, we've passed the, uh, the kind of like the goodbye sign to Massachusetts and we're approaching the welcome to Connecticut sign. And somewhere in between those two signs, I started kind of thinking about the life that we were leaving behind us and the life that was ahead of us here in Connecticut. I kind of, I was giving thanks to God for all that we had been able to experience, the people we got to meet, and I was very prayerful about the exciting people that we would meet down here, the new experiences, the new church, and all that was there. I even wondered a little bit about what are some of the things that I was going to take with me. You know, what, what were some of the, the aspects of my life that was going to go from Massachusetts down to Connecticut? I, I had a, uh, a professor, in, or not a professor, but a mentor in seminary who uh, sat down and challenged me one time. He said, hey, Dan, I, I need you to make a list of the transferables in your life. I didn't really know what that was, so I, I asked him about it. I'm like, okay, what are transferables? But uh, he, he basically said transferables are those things that regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in, uh, what are the things you want to take with you to the next place? Or, or what do you want to be said about you as you make your, your move to the next place, the, the next place of ministry, the next geography, the like next place you're going to live in, wherever you're, you're going to be? What are those things you want to be transferable? And, and I thought about some of those things as we drove down. I thought, what are the things I want to remain the same for our family, to remain constant, even though our circumstances are changing a little bit, even though the, the place where we're living is a little bit different, even though we're going to be going to a new church in, down in Fairfield, Connecticut. Now, Connecticut was to become a new home to us. We were excited about coming down here and, and getting to know the people in our new church and, and the, the ministry in the area and all the new things there. So uh, in, a, in a way, um, this is where my story with Daniel's kind of diverges a little bit. For Daniel, he, he went into exile. I, I wasn't, we weren't going into exile. I mean, Fairfield is not a place of exile, mind you. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, wonderful place. We love it here. But for Daniel, he found himself kind of wondering about those transferables. Well, actually, I'm assuming he wondered about those transferables, but he had at least had to be mindful of what those transferables were because his circumstance did change. As we've been looking at his life, we realize that when the Babylonians conquered his land, he was carried off. His friends were carried off to a new land, an, uh, an unfamiliar land, to, to, to live among an unfamiliar people. And so he, he had to wonder, what are those things that are going to change for me? And what are those things that are going to remain constant and remain unchanged? If it's not enough to, for that to happen one time in your lifetime... Daniel, it happened again for him because soon after the Babylonians had, had conquered the land and lived there for a while, uh, the Medes and the Persians actually, actually conquer the Babylonians. And that's where we pick up in Daniel's story a little bit here because now he finds himself um, being ruled by a new people, a, a new king, a, a new uh, unfamiliar culture. So as much as we think that the book of Daniel is about Daniel and how much he can remain the same and constant in the changing tides of his culture, the book's really not about Daniel. The book of Daniel is really about God's sovereignty and, and his control over mankind in the span of history. Listen to what he says in, in the second chapter in verses 20 to 22. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, he changes times and seasons. 
He removes kings and sets up, and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the, the light dwells with him. See, Daniel is making the statement that God knows all things. God controls all things, past, present, and, and future. And what we, what we see in Daniel is that he puts his trust in this sovereign God. A God who is in control even when we think things are out of control. Daniel puts his trust in this powerful God even as he finds himself in the hands of foreign rulers. Now, what I do believe we can learn from the life of Daniel, what I want us to, to look at in this narrative of, of Daniel's life a little bit differently today, is I, I think we can, we, we can learn the truth that Isaiah the prophet proclaimed in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Isaiah says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, Daniel teaches us that, that to wait on the Lord in exile is to trust him in every circumstance. To, to trust that the plan he is unfolding is the very best for our lives. Now, I think that makes trust very difficult. I think to put our trust in God, even when things seem very insecure and very uncertain, is a very hard thing to do. And so I think it's worthy of our time to, to look closely at Daniel's life and, and kind of consider how that's possible, that he can put his trust in this sovereign God, this powerful God, this God who is in control of all history in the midst of his changing circumstances. See, I think it's important we look at that because, you know what, you and I are living in exile. Now, I, I know I just said before, uh, Fairfield's not exile for us, and it's true, it's not exile for us. But the reality is, for God's people, we live in a, in a period of time that, that is between when Jesus first came, right? When, when God provided the answer for sin and evil in this world, we live in between that moment in time when Jesus first came, born in a manger, and when Jesus will return. And when Jesus will return, we have many promises of what that day will be like because we will join him forever in eternity in his established kingdom. But, but for now... We're finding ourselves living in this land of exile between that, that, that beginning point and that end point. We're living in this exile, and so it's important for us to consider how Daniel finds himself living in exile and not changing who he is. Kind of being aware of those transferables, those things that you don't want to change, regardless of your circumstances or your location or your, your, in, or your um, career. I want to ask a, a few men to come forward, um, a few gentlemen, uh, Adam, Zach, and Josh. If you guys could come forward, we're going to have them read the passage for us this morning. It, it's a, a passage in Daniel 6. It's a narrative of his life. And I want you to pay attention to Daniel as they read this narrative. This is a story where many of us may be familiar with that story. It's the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And, and as they read the story, though, I want you to listen a little bit differently. I, I want you to listen to the way that Daniel lives his life in exile. See, I believe God wants us to know and understand that it's not what we say while we live in exile that matters the most. It's how you live your life in exile that truly matters. Now, now before we go any further, I want you to understand I'm not saying uh, that, that we can earn our salvation, that if we live right and good in exile, that we're going to prove that we're worthy of God's love. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm talking about not abandoning the truth that we believe to be true when things get difficult. 
I'm, I'm talking about us saying that if this is true, if I believe that the word of God is true, that even when I'm faced with adversity in this world, even when I'm faced with uh, maybe people who don't agree with me, it doesn't change who I am. I don't question if, if I'm truly forgiven. I don't, I don't question that what God has said in his word is, is true or not. I, I still live according to that truth. It's not what you say while living in, in exile that matters. It's the manner in which you live your life that truly matters. Guys, would you mind reading for us from Daniel chapter 6? It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished among all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own Sinai, and the Sinai of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. 
No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at, day, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to, to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The, t- the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Thanks, guys. Let's pray and thank God for his word. Father, we do thank you that this is your word, that you have spoken, that you have revealed yourself to your people. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us uh, minds and hearts and ears to receive your word, to, to receive uh, your message to us as you have revealed yourself to us, that we would understand, Lord, that we are, uh, we, we are your people, Seeking, to, seeking your face, desiring to be like you. So, Lord, I pray that in this time, as we walk through your word, that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would challenge us to live rightly before you, differently before you, not out of our own strength, but out of the strength we find in you and you alone. So, Lord, thank you for this time in your word. We pray your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, did you, did you notice it? As we listen to Daniel's life, did you, did you notice when, when Adam and Zach and Josh were reading our passage, did you notice, notice anything about how Daniel lived his life in exile? I think the, the first thing that stood out to me was that Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. Other translations say an extraordinary spirit in him. Daniel stood out among King, King Darius's leaders because of this extraordinary spirit. When the king looked on the leaders he had chosen, Daniel stood out among those leaders, and it wasn't because Daniel was necessarily handsome or smart or fast or, or any of those things. It was because of this extraordinary spirit in him. Remember, the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. It's about God's sovereignty. And this is that first glimpse we get that, that, that it's God at work in Daniel's life that makes Daniel stand out among the other leaders in his world. This is something I think we often forget while we walk through our own worlds. We strive for greater, stronger, faster, smarter, more secure. Or we feel worse about ourselves. We, we, we feel guilt and shame about ourselves because we're not smarter, faster, greater, bigger, stronger. Yet, that's not how it is in God's economy. In the kingdom of God, that idea gets flipped on its head. In God's economy, the last will be first. In God's economy, it's others first, not me first. In God's economy, humility is one of the greatest virtues there is. And so when Daniel stood next to his fellow leaders, he stood out and appeared different because of the relationship Daniel had with God. Now, let me say this. I know that as followers of Jesus, we have a gift from God. We have his Holy Spirit to to work in us and through us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to transform us. But I think that what, what is being spoken about here with Daniel is more than that. It's more of this transformation of who Daniel is because of the relationship Daniel had with God. Over the past few years, we've had the opportunity to have a young man intern here at Trinity with our youth ministry. I can say his name partially because I asked for his permission, but also because he's away down at Liberty University preparing for the future God has for him. 
Robert Russell is a young man who grew up here in the church. He went through the youth ministry. He was trained by all of you to love the word of God, to love Jesus, to walk with him each day. And, and as he interned with us, I had the pleasure of coming to know him because I got to partner with him in the ministry and to walk beside him as well. Robert was an extraordinary, is an extraordinary man, not was, he is an extraordinary man. Whenever there was a task to be done, he did it with excitement, he did it with energy, he made it look fun no matter how big or how small the job was. He's always eager to learn, to grow. When he spoke to our youth from God's word, his love for God and for his word permeated everything he said and did. He routinely and selflessly put others first, and, and never once did I ever hear him complain about it or, or wish that he was doing something different. But for Robert, it wasn't a job. It, it wasn't just an internship. It was a lifestyle. See, every Monday night before youth group, or I should say most Monday nights before youth group, he would come over to our house for dinner, and he would have dinner with, with myself and Tar and our kids and I would think, hey, you know, this is a chance for us to talk about youth group that night, what, what he's looking forward to doing or, or what he's excited about doing. And oftentimes, I would, have to, uh, I would have to wrestle for his time because he was always off playing with my kids or helping Tar with something around the house. Extremely selfless young man. See, one, one time, one evening, we were having dinner, and, and Robert just poured his attention to the kids. They would always fight over who would get to sit next to Robert at dinner. And, and Robert sat between Max and my son Alex one night, and he was telling a story about his time down at Liberty where they actually had this campus-wide food fight. Now, I mean, this was, I mean, especially for a little kid, I'm thinking, Robert, what are you saying right now? This is, get out of my house. And, uh, and yet for Max, he painted this picture that was just incredible. And so Max, shortly after Robert left to go over to uh, the youth group, uh, Max made it clear to us that he desired that this year he wanted to have a food fight for his birthday party. <laughs> now, Max is born December 31st, so it was a cold, cold time for his birthday party outside. But he also made another request. He, he didn't have any other friends that he wanted to invite this year, but he wanted to make sure Robert was there that Robert could help him have this food fight that he talked about. So, I mean, we still have pictures from it, which it was my nightmare, by the way. I hate messes. I, I just do not do well with messes. It was my nightmare. But it's so much when it comes to loving your children, you do, you know, you think of them first or whatever. Something about God's economy and putting others first, not me first. Um, and, and so we had this food fight that will forever be ingrained in my son Max's mind. But even more so than the food fight itself, Max is going to remember this young man who spent time with him, who invested in him, who, who, who cared enough to have fun with him, this grown adult who came to this five-year-old birthday party where he got to throw food around. And, and you know what else? Max is going to remember Robert's extraordinary spirit. Max is going to remember about his time with Robert and how extraordinary this, this young man was, this Christ-like spirit that Robert has. See, Daniel and Robert exemplify the words of Jesus for me in Matthew 5.16. In Matthew 5.16, Jesus is teaching his followers on a hillside, and he says this. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In, in other words, live your life in such a way that reflects the life and hope of Jesus to others. 
Let God be visible through how you live your life. Every circumstance you deal with, not just the good things, but let God be visible through the bad things as well. Your life is your greatest witness and example. See, Daniel's distinguished life because of the spirit he had in him was was the first thing I noticed. He stood out to the other leaders. He stood out to the king. He had an extraordinary spirit within him. I think the second thing we can notice about Daniel living his life in exile was that Daniel was a person of discipline. If you're, if you're ever wondering how a person becomes a child of God who is distinguished and who stands out from the world around them, then, then pay attention to this second characteristic of Daniel. Let's read along in the passage in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. We're going to go on in a minute. But I want to point out real quickly here, Daniel was disciplined in the work he did. But ironically, the, the, his foes, his enemies, came after him in another place of discipline. His commitment and his discipline with God. These, uh, the, these other leaders, they're conniving. They're sneaky. They, they, they kind of sneak away together and say, hey, let's make this plan. Let, 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 you know what? We may not be able to find fault in the work that Daniel does, but maybe we can, I think we can get him if we, if we try to find fault in, in comparing the law of his God with the law of our king, right? So they make all these plans together. They talk behind the scenes, and then they go to the king to present their plan to him. Listen, to, the, the story goes on to, to, to see these conniving, these sneaky leaders, and they go to the king to convince the king to sign this binding injunction, this rule for 30 days, that no one can petition or worship or pray to another god or man beside the king. And if they do, they're going to be cast out into the lion's den. They know Daniel's life. They know what Daniel will do. They know that he is disciplined before his God. And they set up this sneaky little injunction that the king is foolish to be caught off guard by. So the king signs this unchangeable law and the stage is set. We learn a little bit more about these other leaders in Daniel chapter 6, don't we? See, Daniel stood out while the rest of the leaders, they blended in. They all blended together as a jealous, conniving group of leaders who were upset because the king noticed Daniel, because Daniel stood out because of the work he did and the person he was, because of the spirit in him. Daniel was a person of discipline. The quality of of the work that he he produced spoke for itself. He was a go-getter. He was a hard worker. The work he produced was unblemished. He was trustworthy, not corrupt, and didn't ever neglect his work. Now, I think if they had a quality assurance person, which, by the way, I don't know if you do quality assurance, but I know it's a very important job. And if you do quality assurance, think about this for a minute. I bet you they were clamoring to do quality assurance after Daniel's work because they had it easy. There was never any fault in Daniel's work. Again, this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. That they might ask questions, why is the work that Daniel does so good? Why is, he, why is he so concerned about providing excellence in his work? 
to ask questions about it. Because you know what? As they do, they're going to see that it's not because Daniel is so concerned about making himself look good, but because he desires to give glory to his Father in heaven. See, it mattered to Daniel to be excellent in all that he did before God. His entire life was an act of worship to God, and that included his work. He didn't produce excellent work for the applause of other leaders or even the king. He did excellent work for his love for God. And I wonder, can this be said for you and for me? I I mean, you know what? Pastors are just as susceptible to this, to doing their work for the the glory of man rather than for the glory of God. It's a daily challenge to ask the question of yourself, am I doing my work today, am I serving today for the glory of God or seeking the approval of others? Is our work an idol or an offering to God? Do I get pleasure in completing the work or in doing the, the work for God's glory? Because you know what? Daniel did everything for the glory of God. He was a man of discipline. But Daniel was also a man of spiritual discipline. By the way, Daniel has already proven to us by this point in the book of Daniel that he's not going to seek the approval of any earthly king over the approval of his heavenly father. But he shows us his priorities again in our passage in chapter 6. Because when he learns of this new edict, this 30-day injunction that can't be undone, Daniel goes to his home to pray, as was his routine. The circumstances of his life don't dictate the discipline he has with his heavenly father. Because I have a busy week at work does not mean that I'm going to put my time with God a second to, to that time away. Because there's more things going in my world does not mean that I need to neglect my relationship with my heavenly father. It doesn't give me permission to do that. Daniel goes to his place of prayer as was his routine. His circumstances didn't change that. The threat of losing his life does not change Daniel, his priorities or his practices. Take a look at verse 10 with me here in chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. See, Daniel was in the habit of stepping away to to pray with God three times a day. But you know what? He got into this habit before this little incident with King Darius and these conniving leaders. Daniel was in, already in the habit of spending time with God, of, of being in prayer with him, of having a place to go away to. So when the king gives this announcement, uh, and this, this injunction is announced, Daniel doesn't say, oh my goodness, I should go and pray. I, gotta, I, I, need, to, I need to go and pray now. No, Daniel says, okay, I'm going off to where I usually pray. Doesn't change his method, doesn't change his time. It may inform what he's praying about, Certainly may give him more to pray about. Certainly may give him direction and and something to surrender to God. But it doesn't become a place of saying, I need to change everything I'm doing to pray right now. It says, I'm already, I already have a plan. I already have an intention to meet with God three times a day in prayer. And so what we can see exhibited in Daniel's life in exile is his priority to maintain a life of spiritual discipline regardless or whatever the circumstances may be. 
this healthy routine of spiritual exercise rooted him in his faith, and it allowed him to grow in this extraordinary spirit that was in him by God alone. Uh, Greek philosopher Plato once said that uh, whatever is honored in a country will be cultivated there. That makes sense, right? That's pretty logical. If you honor something, you're going to cultivate that thing, right? If, uh, if physical health is what I honor, <clears throat> I'm going to go to make it a habit to go to the gym, to, to shop in, in the, the, the produce aisle in, in the grocery store, make sure to get a good night's sleep. At least this is what my friends tell me, my healthy friends. If my car is what I honor, if I care about my car, I'm going to get regular checkups. I'm going to change the oil. I'm going to make sure that the tires are rotated. I'm going to make sure that that I wash it every week, that I vacuum it. I'm going to have a routine, a habit of cultivating care for my car. (laughs) Right now, I'm cultivating a McDonald's Happy Meal in the back of my car. (laughs) Well, only a few, few fries short of a Happy Meal. Is that the saying? A few, never mind. Daniel honored his relationship with God. He he honored his relationship and his devotion to God and cultivated that regularly through spiritual discipline and prayer. Even the threat of death did not stop him from his routine of discipline, of spending time in prayer three times a day. Now, you and I may not be physically threatened. We may not find that when we walk out the doors of Trinity this morning, we're being threatened with being tossed in a lion's den and devoured by a bunch of hungry lions. But there are things that threaten our exercise of a healthy spiritual life. Maybe it's hurry. Maybe you know what it's like to be hurried. To wake up and before your feet hit the ground, you already know the things that you need to accomplish. You already feel like you're behind the ball on your to-do list for the day. You know, closely associated with hurry is busyness. I mean, I I think that, that there are plenty of things that make us feel busy make us feel like we don't have enough time in the day to accomplish all the things we need to accomplish. Along with busy and and hurry, there's worry. Maybe we just need to rethink our priorities a little bit. Can I I suggest a few things? Let's just take a a couple minutes and think practically for a few minutes of things that we can do to, to kind of guard ourselves against these things that are threatening an unhealthy spiritual life, an unhealthy devotion to God, an unhealthy cultivation of this this extraordinary spirit that Daniel had. Now, I I know one thing that I've had to learn to do. I've got a cell phone. I use that cell phone as an alarm clock. I need to not do that anymore. I, I have my phone plugged in next to my bed on the nightstand. It wakes me up in the morning. But you know what else happens when it wakes me up in the morning? I see the news. I see my emails. I see the messages that are on there for me. Before my feet hit the ground, my mind is running ahead of me, not on the things of God, but on the things that concern me in this world. They cultivate me being productive for the world rather than being mindful and cultivating the things of eternity with God. So you know what? I need to plug my phone in somewhere else. I need to get one of those old-fashioned, I think we've even got them somewhere... (laughs) I'm not sure we can take these yet, but maybe, maybe we can grab one of these alarm clocks back here. Let it, let it not just be a way of protecting, but then take that time to pray, to, to maybe even journal a few thoughts down for your day before, you're, before you get out of bed, before your day starts going, before you, you start being concerned about the things that God has blessed you with attending to in this world. 
Okay, how about this? How about we set up a place in our house that, that's away from the TV, that's away from our cell phones, our computers, away from our kids, maybe, um, where, where we can actually step away, where we can look forward to meeting with God alone. I mean, there's so many things that can distract us in this world, and, and I know we all know them very well, so I don't need to list them, but, but do you have a place in your house that is uniquely yours for meeting with God? I'm not talking about setting up a shrine or anything like that. I'm saying, do you have that chair by that window or, or in that place in the house where you love to sit down, where you love to open up God's word and just spend a few minutes reflecting on God's word, praying whatever he puts on your heart? Have that place available to you where, where you have minimized, you've done your best to minimize the distractions that might be there. Maybe find a place. How about this? Why don't you set a personal goal just for a month? Just for a month. Pick a reading plan. Maybe something different than our daily bread. Maybe you can find them where, where they challenge you to read like an Old Testament book of the Bible, a New Testament, or a chapter, sorry, in, in the Old Testament, a chapter in the New Testament. And just for this next month, make it a plan to read the, that passage in the Bible. Spend time, just reflect on it a little bit. God, what's going on in this passage? And then just offer back to God in prayer, whatever he's putting on your heart. Don't try to craft it into a crafty prayer or anything like that. Just offer it back to him. What are the desires you have on your heart as you read through that? Or how about this? Try writing your prayers out. How many times have you sat, or not even sat down, how many times have you prayed, and then as soon as you pray, it's out of sight, out of mind? But what about this? Why not every now and then try writing one of your prayers down? Put a date next to it just to remember when, it was, when you prayed it. Write that down. You know, it's kind of fun going back to that prayer a month later. Just kind of asking God, oh, wait a minute, what happened? What, what have you done since I prayed that prayer a month ago? Write those prayers down. Remember what you prayed. Remember what, what God invited you to, to, uh, to talk about with him in that, that special time you had with him. You know, these are just suggestions. They're not hard and fast. You need to do these things. I'm sure you can actually find other devotional practices. I'd be happy to talk to you about some of those after the service as well. But whichever of these suggestions you may consider taking, plan to do it. Because if you don't plan to do it, you're not going to do it. Plan to do it so that you can cultivate this relationship with God, that you can cultivate God shaping this extraordinary spirit in you as he did with Daniel. Don't wait until your life is threatened with an obstacle. Don't wait until you're dealing with a pretty significant circumstance to begin to practice, to cultivate this relationship with God. See, Daniel possessed an extraordinary spirit from God, and he was a person of discipline. I think the, the one other thing we can learn this morning is that Daniel is, a dis, is disciplined um, in, in his character as well. See, what other people say about him is that he's an extraordinary man. The story continues in Daniel chapter 6. The sneaky and conniving leaders know that Daniel is disciplined in his relationship with God, and so they catch him praying to God, and they present this fact to the king. They say, hey, you know that injunction you wrote? Well, guess what? Daniel broke it. Now, remember the king, he liked Daniel. He, he, he appreciated Daniel. He actually stood out among the other leaders, and he was looking forward to Daniel serving in his kingdom. And so when the king realized that the law, which could not be revoked, condemned Daniel to death, he was very upset. We're told in the passage that he spent the whole day toiling over trying to find this loophole in the injunction, and he found none. So when the other leaders come and present this to the king, he realizes he's got no choice but to condemn Daniel to death and to cast him into the lion's den. And so King Darius, a human ruler, recognizes that he's powerless to save Daniel. But listen to the words he says to Daniel as he condemns him to death. 
I think those are words where he admits that he may be powerless, but he knows the God that Daniel worships is not powerless. Listen to what the king says to Daniel as he sentences him in verse 16. The king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. After they seal up the den, the king returns to the palace. He has one of the worst nights ever. No sleep, constant concern for Daniel. Nothing will distract him. No, no form of entertainment, no conversations, no food. Nothing, nothing will take his mind off the fact that this Daniel, who, who he likes, is in the lion's den for no fault of his own, but because of these sneaky, conniving leaders and because of the, the powerlessness he has to change that for him. At first light, the king hurries down to the lion's den, and as he approaches, he declares in verse 20, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Good or bad, friend or foe, Daniel's reputation preceded him. His enemies knew who Daniel was. His friends knew who Daniel was. His foes knew that he was trustworthy and could be counted to be, on, to be in his place of prayer so they might capture him and find him guilty. Remember what they said in verse 5. We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. See, they knew Daniel's reputation was that he would not honor a human king over his heavenly father. They knew that Daniel would be faithful to God over and against any earthly king. So after they seal up the den, uh, or after, I'm sorry, after they, they realize this, after they recognize this, they, they make their plot to catch him breaking the king's law because he's being obedient to, the, to God's law. The king knew that he himself was powerless to save Daniel, and yet Daniel's hope was continually on his God. Daniel knew, or the king knew that Daniel's hope was not in him, that his hope was in the living God. In fact, the king actually describes Daniel's life as an act of worship. He says, the king whom you continually serve. That's, that's what our worship is. It's continually serving God. It's recognizing who God is and giving him glory for it. It's serving him day in and day out. Here's the thing. One of the greatest measurements for how we're doing living in exile is what others have to say about us. Now, I know we're not always good self-reflectors because we're oftentimes also our own worst critics. Or, on the flip side of it, we have a tendency to maybe self-inflate ourselves a little bit, right? And so when we look to others to kind of gauge, how am I doing living in exile? It might be good to just kind of reflect on that a little bit, to kind of wonder, what do other people say about me? Do they say, do they think that I'm, uh, a, a servant of the living God, one who continually serves him, who puts their hope in God and not in man. See, Jesus didn't say in Matthew 5, let your persuasive words shine before others. Jesus didn't say, let your good thoughts or intentions shine before others. He didn't say, let your success shine before others. He said, let your light shine before others. A light is, is, is this shining fruit emanating from a power source within it's the outward effect of that power source. And so do the people around us, do they see that light? What do your coworkers say about you? What do your neighbors think about you? What do your, what do your family members think about you? 
How about this? This is maybe even a little bit more scary. Do they even know you enough to be able to, to acknowledge or to, to know the things in you that give voice to who God is? Do they even know you enough to see the light that's shining in you and give glory to God? See, Daniel's exile was also his mission field. Daniel's exile was his place where as he let his light shine before men and give glory to God, they could help but do not, or they could do nothing but, but see God at work in his life. There's a story of a woman here who, again, I've, I've gotten permission to share her story, who's here at Trinity only because someone allowed their light to be seen by them. Uh, Celine, a woman in, in the office, I just used her name. Celine in the office, uh, I was talking with her, and I've gotten to know her story from, from ser- serving alongside her. She and I have spent time together and got to know one another. We, we're close enough where we can kind of see the light of God shining in one another, right? It doesn't necessarily happen because we sit next to each other on Sunday morning, but because we get to know each other. We're kind of living in proximity by serving together. Well, Celine's story goes something like this. She moved to Trumbull. She and her husband moved to Trumbull. And uh, they got to know their neighbors a little bit. Their neighbors were these people with that extraordinary spirit in them. Um, Dan and Nancy Butterfield, they, when they lived in Trumbull, they lived right across from Slynn and Kevin Aiken, and, and the, a great relationship was forged and formed. You know what, what's interesting, though, was that, that this extraordinary spirit shined through uh, Dan and Nancy to the point where they invited, uh, were, for Kevin and Slynn, were curious, what, what is this? And, and they came to know Trinity through Dan and Nancy's extraordinary spirit, through letting the light of Christ shine through their lives. They didn't just say, hi, neighbor, how are you? They got to know them. They spent time with them. They enjoyed meals together. They befriended them. And soon, Kevin and Celine could actually see the light of Christ in Dan and Nancy. And so they would come to Trinity. And you know what happened? They got a chance to see the light of Christ in other people here as well. The extraordinary spirit of God at work in the lives of the people. It wasn't persuasive words. It wasn't, you know, perfect work done before them. It was God's work in their lives and through their lives that drew them here to Trinity and ultimately to Jesus Christ. See, it's not what you say in exile that matters most. It's how you live your life in exile that truly matters. In this passage this, this morning, Daniel makes only one statement. Daniel says in verses 21 and 22, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, mouth, the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now, for more on this, come back next week. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But for today, I want us to notice that up to this point, God has recorded very little of Daniel's words. But God's recorded mostly Daniel's life and his actions. A, a pastor named Craig Rochelle Um, has this to say about young leaders. He says, oftentimes young leaders underestimate the value of a life of faithfulness. In other words, they're tempted to achieve big things or accomplish a project or, or to be able to look back and say that was good work. But they underestimate the the lifetime of daily faithfulness to God, the value and the impact that that life of faithfulness makes. Please don't underestimate the lifetime, the value of a lifetime of faithfulness. 
Be faithful to pursue God each day. Value time spent in his word, time away with him. Cultivate that relationship with him. Allow him to to cultivate that extraordinary spirit in you. These are fruitful ways for you to invest your time and energy far greater than anything the world has to offer us. See, I think Daniel knew this. He, he knew that a lifetime and a legacy of faithfulness to God was far greater and would shine far brighter than a few months of productivity to an earthly king. See, a servant leader living in exile is one who builds their legacy patiently, slowly over time through steady faithfulness to God day in and day out. Be faithful in the little things. Yes, our words matter. Our words matter in the, in the fullness of eternity. But they only matter if you put your money where your mouth is. What we learn from Daniel is that it's not what you say while living in exile that truly matters. It's how you live your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Daniel. We thank you for your ability to to be in control of all of his circumstances, to work things out according to your plan. Lord, I thank you for Daniel's faithfulness to you, that we might see in his life a a model, a way for us to also live, to to put our faith in you, to trust you, to live for you, to, to, to live a life of discipline before you, to trust you, to cultivate an extraordinary spirit in us as we seek to draw closer to you. Father, I pray you would help all of us today to draw closer to you, to see this extraordinary spirit being a part of our sovereign God's work in our lives. May you do that for us today. May we shine our lights forth that others might see that and give glory to you. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to play a part in building up your kingdom. May that be true today and forevermore. Pray this all in Jesus' name.